everyone. So the reading today is from Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 39. And you can find this in, on page 1033 in the Church Bibles. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi standing at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees, who were the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, is it not the healthy who needs the doctor, but is those who are ill? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they would have torn the new garment and the patch from the new one would not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wine skins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Oh, good morning, everyone. My name is Johnny. I'm one of the pastors of the church here, and uh, really good to, to see you all. And, uh, and if you're a guest with us, just I'd really say what, what Becky said. I hope you will stay for lunch today. What, what have we got for lunch? Does anyone? Chili. Chili with all of, the, uh, all of the accompaniments. So, yeah, stick around. It's free, and we'd love to hang out and get to know you and enjoy, enjoy that together later. There's a, um, a wise old saying. It's very wise because it comes from uh, a long time ago. Are this slides, slides on? Uh, let me try this. Okay, we'll, we'll press on, and if, if guys can get the slides up, that'll be... Oh, here we go. Up. Okay, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. Not you. Get out of my slides. Uh, thanks. Okay. I don't know where I am now. I'm going to Okay, here we go. Here's the wise old saying. Um, this, this, this guy, they don't even know he existed, but basically you can tell a lot about someone by the company they keep. And I think that's true. Who you choose to hang out with shows not only something of who you are, but also who you want to be and what your priorities and what your values are. And I guess this kind of saying is meant to encourage us to choose the right company. But let, let me show you a couple of pictures. And, um, and this is just an interesting other way of thinking about who we choose to spend time with. Now, I'm thinking, so for me, this is kind of quite current, but I just realized it's 25 years since these two ladies passed away. Do people know who these women are? Uh, yeah, most people do. Um, some people are looking a little bit blank. So, so th this is uh, Princess Diana, who was the first wife of, of our king now. Um, and she famously, even though she was a princess and a, a lady of royalty, spent time with uh, those who are far less fortunate, particularly those who have been affected by war zones and mines and things like that, and orf um, orphans of AIDS uh, and, and things like that. And, and the other one is their mother, Teresa, who, who spent her life living amongst the suffering of Calcutta. 
And these two incredible women were both famous for their choice to spend time with certain types of people when they really didn't need to. And that tells us a lot about their character and about them. I wonder what your company says about you, your values and priorities. You see, it's a fascinating thing to think about because Luke, who's telling us and retelling this story of Jesus, he chooses, uh, he shows us who Jesus chooses to spend his time with and what that says about him. Luke's uh, retelling of Jesus' life story is this. It is good news for the outsiders and those who are left behind. Those who people don't want to be around, those who people think badly of due to, in their time, social prejudices that were kicking around or or sicknesses and disease that people had or, or their own bad life choices and their own questionable moral character. And those people that are left behind on the outside, Luke shows us again and again, Jesus goes towards and he draws them to him. And we see that particularly today in, in the story that Dan read to us from, from Luke chapter 5, this, this story of Levi. And all that really happens in this story is Jesus goes and he calls this guy called Levi to follow him. Levi gets up, leaves everything behind, and follows Jesus. And then he has this, like, hosts this massive party for Jesus and invites all of his colleagues and, and his mates along. That's, that's basically what happens. But then there's this conversation that follows what happens there. And the conversation shows us that Jesus does what religion can't. Jesus does what religion, uh, does what religion can't. He restores the spiritually sick and he gives us life to the full. Now, when I say religion there today, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of using my own definition of it. So just listen to what I'm saying there, because it's not what you're probably thinking of. When I say religion today, I mean any approach to life that ultimately relies on you and your performance or your goodness to make a success of life. It, it relies on you. So that could be following any one of a number of formal religions in, in the way we often think of it. But also it's the self-help strategies. It's the self-improvement, personal improvement plans that we also often rely on in so many different ways. It's this, this idea that kicks around our society today, around kind of this kind of British morality and what it means to be a good person that so often lands on me and what I do. Well, Jesus does what we can't do for ourselves. He does what we can't do by our own religious effort and religious works. He restores us from spiritual sickness and deepens our soul, and he gives us life to the full. And that's what we're going to see today. You know, some of us have, have not got hold of that yet. It might be that you're hearing that for the first time. But that's what Jesus claims to us. That, that's what Jesus offers people. And so this is the first time. And so I, I hope if that's the case, you'll just be ready to hear and to listen what I've got to say. But, but some of us have heard it tens, if not hundreds of times. And yet we still haven't really heard it. Maybe today you might be ready to receive all that Jesus has for you. Many others do know and do experience this restoration, this fullness of life that Jesus has for us. But there's so many different things that come in and threaten to steal it from us, right? Luke has written his story of Jesus so that people who, who know about Jesus, who have been taught things about Jesus, may be certain in them. Those of us who have been taught and know and understand and even believe things about Jesus, these things are written so that we may be certain in these things, that we may stand in them, that we may live in them, that, that this is what's going to be happening to us as we walk through Luke, that we might learn to live with confidence and conviction and a real present 
day-by-day reality of who Jesus is and what it means to live knowing him and receiving what he offers and gives. And so my hope and prayer today is that that resolution would grow in our lives for every one of us. Jesus does what religion can't do, what we can't do for ourselves. He restores us from spiritual sickness and he gives us life to the full. So what we see here is an invitation, an invitation to you even today to restoration and fullness of life. It's what happens for Levi in verses 27 to 29, and it shows us our experience. Now, at this point, just remember where we are in this story. Jesus is traveling around the north of Israel 2,000 years ago, and he's doing this ministry. He's teaching. He's doing miracles. He's healing people. He's calling and training his disciples. And this kind of period of of time runs in Luke's gospel from chapter 4, verse 14, all the way through to chapter 9, verse 50. And he's weaving around the north, doing his traveling ministry, and people are gathering to him. And then in 951, he starts heading towards Jerusalem, and that's the next part of the story and and, and things that follow in the end to to die on the cross and rise and ascend to heaven. But but in this quite... We're taking quite a while to go through this this northern ministry time. Jesus is drawing an interest, and crowds of everyday people we've seen are flocking to him. They're listening to him teach. People are coming uh, and seeing the signs he's performing. Uh, And Luke has told us, particularly so far, sufferers are coming to him. People who have various illnesses and diseases are are coming to be healed and and to be restored, And, and we've seen that already. People who have physical and mental ill health coming to Jesus for restoration. Now today, there's this new group of people that kind of start to be drawn towards Jesus. And it's not so much sufferers, but it's those who you'd call sinners. This large crowd of unsavory types gathers around Jesus as Levi hosts this party for the tax collectors and sinners and others at his home. See, something so drastic has happened to Levi, and it acts like this magnet to all of these other, um, this large crowd of, of people that are called sinners to Jesus. Here's the thing about Levi his job is a tax collector. Now, that's just not a description of his, of his job and what he does, but that's a description of his status in society. If you have that job back then, you meet someone at a party or something, they're like, oh, what do you do? It's the sort of thing that just kills the conversation. It just goes down like a lead balloon. You know? A modern-day example, I think, would be like maybe a cross between a greedy city banker and a local gang leader, kind of in one person. It's not, it's not the kind of person that you want to be around. You see, the tax collectors, they collaborated with the Romans who were occupying the people at the time, and the tax collectors collected the taxes from the people, uh, from their own people, to pay to the Romans. Now, they weren't paid for that job. They had the privilege of charging whatever commission and whatever charges they like on top of their taxes. They're like estate agents, right? They can just add on any any number of fees. And it's unregulated, and they can do as they please. And so these guys got super rich by taxing their own people up to the eyeballs and giving uh, money to these foreign occupiers who were, like, ruling and, and oppressing the people. Everyone hated the Romans, as you can imagine what they thought of the tax collectors. They're collaborators, they're extortioners. Some would say you're criminals. So Levi is this guy, he's got loads of money. He doesn't want for anything. But not many friends. Nearly everyone in town avoids him at all costs. He doesn't get you know, Christmas cards or whatever else. And so it's very surprising, if that is who Levi is, that is what his life is like, 
It's very surprising what happens as Jesus is walking out of town. Levi's there, minding his own business, working away at the tax booth, fleecing people for all he's got, counting his money, you know, kind of sinister smile, that kind of thing. And totally out of the blue, Jesus sees him, and he comes to him, and he calls him, follow me. Now, Luke's probably edited out. There's probably more of a conversation than that going on, I think. But the essence is that Jesus moves towards Levi, right where he is, and he invites him. You could even say he commands him, Levi, come follow me. You know, some of us have got it in our heads that we're so bad. We've messed up so much. We've gone too far down uh, the line of a particular lifestyle or a way of living or or things that have happened to us and that we've done that we're beyond reach uh, of help. We're beyond being changed or, or getting our lives turned around or even beyond the interest of anyone. If that's you, or even that's a little bit you, see, see Levi, see what happened to him, see what Jesus said to him. Jesus wanted to be his friend. He went towards him. He called him out. He's pretty much the biggest sinner in town, the biggest mess up. He's the most unpopular person. He's lived the baddest life. Listen, you can be assured that Jesus is interested in you that he can call you out, that he can turn your life around. Jesus isn't only calling Levi to himself, but he is calling him to a radical new life. And in verse 32, Jesus says that he's come to call sinners to, to repentance. You see, what Jesus does, he comes to us just as we are. We don't have to change or do anything or, or be anything before him. And, and he accepts us as we are. But he doesn't intend to leave us that way. He comes to us as we are, and he comes to call us to a radical new way of living. He calls us to a new direction for all of life, following him and his ways. He he calls us to stop heading in a certain direction and to turn around and start going in a new and a very different direction that he leads us in. And that's what repentance is, and and that is what the restoration is that he brings to us from the spiritual sickness of, of sin, and it's what he alone can give to us. Through repentance and faith in him, he shows and he teaches us how to be healthy in our souls again. How to live life as it was meant to be lived. We'll we'll come back to this idea a little bit later. But but for Levi, he he gets what Jesus means. And, And we read in verse 28, he gets up, leaves everything, and he follows Oh, that isn't a small deal, is it? All of that money, all of that stuff that he's got, that big, impressive home, all of that future income in an instant left behind and gone. And Levi lets that stuff go. He trades all of that for becoming a disciple of Jesus, for traveling around with him for the next few years, often camping, sleeping on a sofa, kind of scrabbling together some money to get meals, it seems at times, very little coming in. But he says, yeah, I'm going to let go of that and I'm going to buy into this. Levi is actually also known as Matthew and he, he wrote a story of Jesus' life that we have in the Bible, the first gospel. See, what Levi does is he leaves behind the high life, he leaves behind the big money, but he doesn't leave his people behind. First thing he does as a follower of Jesus, step one for him, I'm going to host the biggest and best party this town has seen. 
I'm going to celebrate. It's a great banquet at his house. You can imagine with all the money he had, the resources he had to throw, this is going to be something of a party. And, and, and this crowd of tax collectors and others, along with Jesus and his disciples, are there, and they're feasting, and they're eating, and they're drinking, and they're celebrating. Levi doesn't know much at this point, but he knows this is something worth celebrating. This is something worth having a party over. He's let go of a life of riches and pleasure, and yet he's never experienced acceptance and kindness like this. There's something like Jesus that, I don't know what, but there's something going on in this man. And I want to, sh- I want to celebrate it, and I want to share it. I want my colleagues, I want all my tax collector mates to come in here and know, I guess they stuck together as a group, didn't they? And he's like, come guys, come here, come meet this guy. Let's have a party together. I've met someone, and I don't know why yet, but I just know it is worth leaving everything, leaving everything behind to know and be with him. I know that he's one who can give me more than I could ever ask or imagine. I know he is one who has called me by name, and he gives me what I couldn't get for myself. And so step one, day one of Levi's life following Jesus is a massive party. Jesus says to us this. He says, I have come that they may have life. He says to you, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus comes to seek out people like Levi. And if Levi, then definitely you and definitely me, and call us into something better and to something new and something that is full and that is amazing. He comes to us and he calls us to leave everything and follow him. Leave everything behind so we may experience his restoration, his fullness of life, that we may taste and see that the Lord is good and it is blessed, it is a good place of life to be found in him and to be with him. Now, following Jesus may not mean for you that you have to physically leave your job and your home and your people like Levi. Possibly not. For some, it might mean some of that. And for some, it does. But for all of us, it does look like leaving in that we no longer ultimately live for those things as our main thing. We no longer let those things be the center of our, around which our lives revolve, whether it's family or relationships or career or money or the big house or a nice car or a certain lifestyle or certain experiences that we want in life. They're no longer the thing that, 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 that sits at the center of our life. No, we hold those things loosely to the extent we have them. Maybe we let go of some of them so that we take hold of Christ because Christ is our life and Christ is the fullness of life and he has come so that we may have life and we may have it to the full and so we may live for him and him alone. This is what Jesus invites us into today. Some of us for the very first time, some of us he's calling us back into it and and back to a, and into a deeper experience and the fullness of it. It's radical and it's pretty drastic, but it is incredible. Following him in life and so experiencing and receiving restoration and life to the full. Life is designed to be lived. He does invite us to leave everything behind. But he does that so that we might gain everything. Every spiritual blessing. Life to the full forevermore. Follow me, he says. Let nothing hinder you from that. Let nothing detract you away. Let nothing trip you up. Let nothing keep you back. 
follow me. Come with me. Put your trust in me. That's the invitation to us. That's the invitation to you. The thing is, there's these, there's these threats to your life of restoration and fullness. That's what we need to think about together now. Kind of pivot to think about Jesus' disciples here and their experience in this scene. They're, they're being drawn into and experiencing this new way of life and this new way of thinking about and experiencing a relationship with God as Jesus is introducing them to. They're, they're kind of experiencing this new way of relating to people around them as they follow Jesus and end up in these parties that they never would have been at before and these people they'd never have been hanging out with. And then what follows in verses 30 to 39 is this argument that threatens to derail Jesus' disciples and their experience and their ministry of this restoration and fullness of life. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come in here and they get wind of this party. I don't think they're there, but they either see it or they hear about this party of tax collectors and sinners and and Jesus and his disciples together uh, and they're absolutely raging. That's not the way things should be done. That's That's not the good old ways of religion. Who are these people? What are they doing? What are they like? We met these religious guys last week when Johnny was preaching and they were muttering under their breaths together as Jesus miraculously healed this this paralyzed man. Johnny explained to us, we often think of them as the bad guys, that they're probably not so much the bad guys, they actually look like the good guys. They're the model church members. They're They're the people who take their religion super seriously. They're super committed. What Luke shows us in the Pharisees is they're an example of how not to respond to Jesus. And so party gate kicks off and the Pharisees muttering escalates into outright shouting and anger and and accusations and complaints. And and they fire two accusations at Jesus' disciples. They go for Jesus' disciples. Uh, And these accusations threaten their experience and their ministry of this restoration and fullness that Jesus brings. You see, the, 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 the Pharisees here represent for us the way of religion. And like I said earlier, not just formal religion, but this way of life that ultimately relies on you and your efforts and your performance to be healthy in soul, to be a, a good person, to, to succeed at life, to experience fullness of life and flourishing. When it all lands on you, whatever system you follow, whatever teachers you listen to, whatever books you read, doesn't really matter. When it all lands on you, that's what the Pharisees represent for us here. Uh, and what had become central to them in their, in their approach to life and in their, their religious outlook was their own performance of spiritual disciplines like fasting uh, and prayer uh, and their ability to cut out bad people and bad influences and stay pure by keeping a whole load of people at arm's length. Because we're the good guys, so we don't associate with, with, with the bad guys. We keep clear of morally dubious people in case we might get infected by, by what they've got, you know? I guess if it all falls on you to perform, then you probably don't have space in your life for those who are going to bring you down or distract you in some way, eh? You've got to, you've got to cut those people out. You've got to move away from them. You've got to keep them at arm's length. And, and so you get a clash between these two approaches, the new way of Jesus or the, this old way of religious human self-effort and, and good living. 
And this clash leads to these accusations being fired at Jesus' disciples. And Jesus steps in and he defends. It's so brilliant. He, he answers them and he, with zeal, defends his disciples against these accusations because he wants to safeguard and protect their restoration and their fullness of life in him. He's not going to let these other guys come in and steal it from them. And so Jesus defends us too when the threats rise up against our uh, fullness of life in him and our, our restoration in him and, and, and those threats that can arise from within us and things that we believe or think or say about ourselves. They can come from outside, from things other people say uh, about us or, or, or things we read or whatever. And Jesus will defend and protect us because he wants us to live life to the full. He wants us to live the restored life that he gives. Here's the first. There's two accusations. Here's the first one, verse 30. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, sin is, is like a, a spiritual sickness of our soul. It can be helpful to think of it like that, a contagious virus that's, that's spread through the human race. We know what that looks like now, don't we? And it's passed down from one generation to the next. And so the Bible would reveal that we're all carriers and we're all sufferers of this virus called sin, this sickness in our souls. And the Pharisees kind of got this. But what they thought they could do is they thought that they could be pure by their own religious performance, and they thought they could stay pure by keeping the real sinners at arm's length and keeping them away and, and, and avoid being polluted by them. So they wouldn't hang out with the spiritually sick so that they don't become spiritually sick themselves. They certainly would never eat with them in a time and an age when eating was a sign of friendship and acceptance and and kind of a leveler between people. You see, any way of life, any, any approach to life, any system of belief that leads you to rely on your own performance and goodness to cut it, it divides, it separates, it says there's good and there's bad, it leads to a whole load of self-righteousness and moral superiority and all kinds of things. And this is Jesus' reply to that, verse 31. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the ill. I'm not here to call people who think they are righteous, who think they are spiritually healthy. I'm here to call those who are spiritually sick, i.e. sinners, to repentance. Think about it. A doctor isn't much use, are they? If, they? if they spend all of their time with healthy people. The, this, the, the sick are exactly the people a good doctor should be spending time with. And so the whole point, Jesus says, of, of his life and his ministry is not to stay away from those who are spiritually sick with this sin virus, but to come to us and to restore us, to heal us, to call us to repentance and faith. The tax collectors and the sinners are exactly the people Jesus is to be spending his time with. Of course they are. Now, Jesus isn't saying here, some people are righteous and don't need this restoring work. He's saying, no, some people think they don't need it. Some people think they're healthy and they don't need a doctor and they need to see they're sick. Now, all this means, if, if we have realized, if we've realized we're spiritually sick, and we've come to Jesus, we've experienced some of that restoration in our lives, we've experienced some of the fullness that the good doctor gives, surely we too are called to be among, to go towards the spiritually sick around us and tell them about the good doctor. Surely as Jesus has done, so we should do. 
Surely there is a threat to our ministry of restoration in the world if we retreat from the dark places. If we keep the broken people at arm's length, if we keep the messy situations away from us, because we want life to be easier or, or more comfortable or more straightforward, or we want church to look more impressive, and like we've got it more together. So let's just keep certain people away and certain people outside. Surely that would be the opposite of what Jesus wants to do in us and through us and cause us to. The church is to be, I've said this before, it's to be like an ambulance that goes out to people afflicted with this sin virus and brings them to be restored by the good doctor. Now that is a messy work. That makes for a messy church. But it's what Jesus came to do. It's what he's still doing today. One of my um, favorite, again, this is an old reference, I'm sorry, but one of my favorite British comedians is, is Alan Partridge. And he said back in the day, uh, to his assistant, Lynn, who was inviting him to her church. I don't want to come to your Baptist church, Lynn. They're always getting people when they're down. It's brilliant, isn't it? And he meant it as an insult. And obviously, it's like, I know it's like, it's not real life, but, but I think that's a great reputation to have. I think the church should have that reputation. It better do. We're to be in the world, but not of it. We're to be light in the darkness, the salt of the earth, those who are with and amongst the tax collectors and the sinners of our day, telling them about and pointing them to the good doctor who caused them to follow him. Accusation one, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Response, because there's a good doctor who comes to restore. Accusation two, verse 33. Why, disciples of Jesus, do you eat and drink? When the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees, they fast and they pray. This is the heart of this religious approach to life. I've got to perform. It falls on me. I've got to keep it up. Don't slacken off. And with the Pharisees, it led to extreme levels of discipline and commitment. So in their religious system, there's a command that they um, should, should fast once a year. Okay? And, and to meet the, that, that system. You do that once a year and you've met it. They fasted twice a week and held one another to it. And if anyone, you know, dropped off one for whatever reason, they, they, they'd be at each other about it. You better keep up with them or you're sliding down the spiritual ladder and, and you're not keeping up. They were very serious people. They were very uptight and, and particular and they were very easily annoyed by how free and easy others could be. These people who don't take things seriously enough, who aren't committed enough, You see, keeping up appearances, performing in some way, holding it all together is a way of life that very quickly becomes joyless. There's no life. There's no vitality. It's this kind of dog-eat-dog spirituality where nobody wins. And Jesus' answer to this, verse 34, is that nobody fasts on a wedding day. A wedding day is a time of celebration. It's a time of joy. It's a time of fine food and good drink and dancing. When you're with the bridegroom, you have a, a party. And Jesus said here, I'm the bridegroom and I bring life to the fool by my presence. So, of course, my disciples are going to feast with me. Many times Jesus speaks of us coming to know him and entering the kingdom of God like a wedding feast or a wedding party or a wedding celebration. 
He's here bringing people into life to the full and bringing people into a life full of joy. Uh, And therefore they're celebrating what he brings to them. Uh, And the religious guys are laying into people because they're not fasting and they're not being good enough and they're not keeping the rules well enough. This is a threat to the fullness of life that Jesus brings, that it might be stolen from his disciples by these old religious ways of the Pharisees, which don't cut it. In fact, what Jesus is saying is that old way and my new way, they're completely incompatible. They do not go together. And the way he he explains they're just completely different and and, and he's here to replace the old is he he uses these three mini kind of wise sayings or, or parables, which... I think when he said them, it would have been really clear to people, but because it's just different culture and place, we're, like, we're left scratching our heads a bit with them. He talks about not mending an old garment with a patch from a new garment, because then you've, kind of, you've ruined both. And he talks about not putting new wine into old wineskins, because the old wineskins would get stretched over time and lose their elasticity, and so the new wine would ferment and break them, and, and you've ruined both and lost both. And the point that Jesus is making is this, is he's bringing in a completely renewed way of life. This is a replacement and an upgrade service on the old ways. Uh, and it's a way of joy and fullness of life in him. And the tired old ways of the Pharisees uh, and their religious ways, they just can't contain this new thing that Jesus is bringing that he's giving to people. They just don't fit with it. This new thing is replacing the old. Don't try and put them together or or kind of mix and match them or anything else like that. No, no, just just hear me. What Jesus isn't saying, he's not saying there's no place for spiritual discipline or fasting or prayer in the Christian life. In fact, he indicates that there is here because he talks about the bridegroom being there and going away. While Jesus is not physically with us and present and while we await his return, stuff like fasting and, and ongoing prayer life and spiritual disciplines are vital practices for his followers but it's clear they are never to be enforced. People are never made to do these things. They're they're never done in a way to impress others or to bolster our own sense of how well we're doing ourselves. They're never done in our own strength or out of our own goodness. No, they're ways of experiencing and putting into practice our need of him and our longing for him. And we're also free to party and to feast and to celebrate and to drink good drink and eat good food and dance to music and celebrate together because in Christ there is often so much to enjoy and so much to celebrate. So many blessings to be received with thanks. I wasn't going to say it, but I do think we're a church that should have more parties. Um, So go for it. For your birthday, for whatever. Have a party, invite some people around and celebrate. But But the main point is this. Life has to change when you follow Jesus. You can't just tack him on to your existing life, to the way you're living, the way things are going. You can't mix and match him with looking at other things to life for the full. We might say, yeah, Jesus, I want to follow you, but, but really, I need to make my career the priority, Jesus. So you, you'll understand that, won't you? I've got to provide for my family after all. Or, or Jesus, I want to be your disciple, but I'm not going to listen to you about my romantic life. That, that's going to be an area of life that I'm going to decide the best way to go about that and what, what, what's wisest in, in, in that area of life. Jesus, I I want your forgiveness, but I'm not really so up for your moral standards and your teachings about how we should live, thanks. Take the forgiveness, though. That that sounds great. Jesus, I'm going to trust in you, but I'm still going to rely on cannabis or alcohol to get me through some hard and painful 
days. No, Jesus can't be patched onto our own ways of living, the, only, the, 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 the things that we might rely on, our own plans and our own ways. We can't have him and hold on to the world. That's a threat that undermines and steals from us the fullness of life that he has for us. Jesus calls us into a new way of living. He calls us into a new fullness of life that we find in him and in him alone. Jesus is the good doctor. Jesus is the fun bridegroom. He is the friend of the spiritually sick who restores us and he gives us life to the full. He offers you today something new, something amazing that the truth is that all too often we're perfectly content with the old, aren't we? Verse 39, the last verse here is is tricky, but I think it warns us of this reality. Those who stick with the old and don't take up the new. Stick with the old ways of relying on self. Relying on what I can do, how I can be good, how I can prove myself, doing life on my terms. And don't take him up on the offer of new wine and, and, and new life to the full in him. You see, we can sometimes get so hung up on what we think we lose with Jesus. Even as some of, some of us as Christians, so hung up on what we think we're losing at the moment in life because we're trying to follow him or, or, or we've got a decision before us and we're trying to work out if it's worth following him or not and we're so scared of what we think we'll lose with him that we fail to see that what we gain with him is life to the full forevermore. That the new is so much better than the old. So I want to encourage you this morning to receive afresh his offer. Say yes to it. To enjoy it. And don't let it be stolen from you. So yeah, take the world, but give me Jesus. And that's enough for me. Let me pray about that, and then we will, I think we'll be singing together in response as the musicians come up. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You're a good doctor and you're a fun bridegroom. You come to offer life to the full, to restoration and renewal to those who, like Levi, uh, don't deserve it, aren't worthy of it. We might know that, we might not. The whole world might tell us that. And yet you walk towards us in love and acceptance and kindness and you come to transform and renew. Lord, I pray that in the quietness of each of our hearts, we would know where we need to receive and believe and um, follow you today. Any who for the first time need to make that point of listening to you and accepting what you offer and any who in a particular area of life need to listen and follow, need to put into practice repentance and faith. That we know that following you, we never, you never owe us anything in the end because life with you is so much better. It is life as it was made to be lived. Holy Spirit, just yeah, apply this and help us to respond in the way you want us to in our lives now, I pray.